Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two perfect sponsors at the top of the show. We have lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. Huge learning resource on the web. Check them out. And Environments for Humans who are promoting their Craft CMS Summit. Craft is kind of, uh, uh, in some ways, a, a expression engine 2.0, although I'm sure they hate that. We'll tell you more about that conference and lynda.com later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Shopaholic, how you doing? You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design, development, sound effects, and the best of the internet. I'm Dave Rupert. With me is Chris Coyer. Hey, everybody. Uh, we, this is a, a classic. You guys are really used to these by now because it's our 28th Rapid Fire Show. That means oh, no guests, yeah. no drama, no, I don't know, news and stuff. In the last rapid fire, we kind of got into some drama, and I really apologize that. So we're just going to go ahead and push it, you know. Real good. That's good. All right. So let's just jump in, shall we? Here we go. Question from Kobe Birdman. I've recently been approached by a client that needs his site to be bilingual, English and Hebrew. Considering it will be a WordPress-based site, could you recommend any good plugins to work with for a bilingual support? Uh, also, the fact that Hebrew is RTL, right-to-left written language, have any implications code-wise? Chris, do you got any? Uh, as I read that, there's a, the codex at WordPress.org, which is like their docs. You know, it's just kind of a cool word for like lots of wiki-ish based content that explains how WordPress works. They have a page called Multilingual WordPress there, and they're very kind of clear at the top of it. They say, WordPress does not support a bilingual or multilingual blog out of the box. However, there are plugins developed by the WordPress community which allow you to create a multi-blog or multilingual blog easily. So there's two things that come to mind when you say WordPress and and bilingual or multilingual to me. And that is does is you know this the front end of the site, the theme, does that need to be bilingual, the site that you're building? Or is it the back end, literally the CMS part of it, where you're publishing posts and creating tags and what have you, does that need to be bilingual or both? So I guess that's the question, and I and I'm pretty sure that you can install WordPress in a, in a different language. You can you can you know install a German translated version of the CMS or or whatever. But once you do that, then it's just it's all in German. Then you know, mm-hmm. uh, or Hebrew. Prob- they probably have one. Uh, then, but then. It, you can't just switch back and forth. So like, can you get away with single language on the back end or not? Uh, that's the question. And, and I think there are plugins and I'm, I'm 99% sure that there are that allow you to kind of install WordPress twice and kind of switch between them somehow or mm. 
um, in the back end. So it's doable to have a bilingual back end. And then there's the uh, how do you make a, a bilingual front end, which I think they range from really easy ways to do that with um, like just an easy meaning bad kind of. It's like easy and bad <laughs> and hard and good. Those are the those are like pick one kind of thing. Yeah. Easy and bad meaning like a pl- like you know put a bar across the top that just sends it you know client side to Google Translate and replaces the site with with an automatic translation of it or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then there's kind of like a you know there there's there's multilingual plugins like or, you know for example a plugin that isn't about being multilingual but just is multilingual because other people use that plugin in different languages. There are built-in like functions in WordPress. I forget what it is. Isn't it like underscore e or something? And then you like give it a string that represents another string, and that's like the kind of like official way to, to I don't know, have a string that's multilingual read, ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's like a the PHP, which is what WordPress is based on, has this like uh, uh, like different way of getting messages or whatever. Like it's kind of like predefined text. Like you, you make these dot PO files and it's like Spanish dot PO English dot PO or whatever. And those are like your strings. Like you basically do an English key, like sign up. And then in, in, uh, like whatever in British, it'll say register with an E on the end or something. (laughs) <laughs> um, there's that. That's like kind of the one way. If you have a bunch of static content, if you have dynamic content, that's the kind of stuff you were talking about, Chris. Like, it's really kind of like you maybe need to get into like custom fields territory. You know, like duplicate every every field element or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I did. Uh, if you're doing responsive, there's quite a bit of work that you'll need to figure out. Um, if you go to Microsoft.com, I did this on Microsoft, the E-N-U-S. So Microsoft.com slash E-N-U-S. That's you have like different the, URLs for it even. Yeah, that's how they do it. And, and I think just because they have different markets or whatever. But then if you go to H-E-I-L instead of E-N-U-S, uh, that's the Hebrew one. And it is... Quite it different. is right to left. Yeah. So everything, so we had to kind of do this thing like, and you can do it in SAS and stuff, but you know, it, it's basically like every time you float, which floats, yeah, right. You have to have a RTL style sheet that floats left. And every time you do a margin left, you have to do a margin, right? It's kind of confusing. There are some blog posts. I wish I knew them off the top of my head, but, uh, that kind of show how to do this. Um, and if you're doing inline block, here's a tip. Use inline block, you know, for nav elements and stuff like that. And it'll automatically flow RTL when you change it in your, in your HTML dir attribute or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, so there are, is design considerations, especially for RTL, because it's, it, mm-hmm. it's not just the text that goes the other way. It really, it's really the entire layout, like. To, yeah, to, to have it continue to, to kind of make sense and stuff. Yeah, everything kind of like needs to, yeah, be like your your margins have to go opposite and your oh, padding and your float. So anytime you use the word left or right, that should be a cue to you that uh oh, that's going to have to yeah, float. And I bet it's even more than that if you really get into it, because isn't there? There's kind of like, you know when you get into flexbox land, there's kind of like start and end and stuff, and not only mm-hmm. just for. 
It's not only just for Flexbox, it's for other things too. Like I think they they kind of a little bit regret sometimes left and right and mm-hmm. and prefer it to be more directionally agnostic and prefer start and end generally. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's that. Then there's, you know, I wonder if it's the opposite of SEO kind of is that you don't really want multilingual sites to end up being at the same URL because it would it just like helps in the SEO in that country if it is like .mx for Mexico or something. Yeah, well, there is this idea of localization too. Like, um, uh, you know, if you're the Hebrew site, maybe you can't sell a product in Israel or something. So you're going to have to like the content might actually have to change. So having a separate URL structure, isn't a bad idea. Like having a multi-site basically like you were describing Chris, um, not to like totally synergize here, but craft CMS who, uh, we, there's a craft CMS coming summit coming up from environments for humans. Um, it has localization built in. So that might be something you want to look at. That that was one of the things that like really stood out to me um, as as an advantage of craft craft CMS, and especially if you're like um, if it has it built in, it's probably built in on the admin side of things too. So that might help your um, what your, right. your editors content. It editors does complicate up. your code base a bit, doesn't it? I mean, it just naturally does in, in that case. I think the, the we we used a service at Wufu when we when we made different versions of it called Smartling, Smartling.com. And I think that was one of the reasons that we went with them is because we didn't have to maintain two code bases. We could kind of keep the English one and then there was some kind of middle layer that would just swap stuff out kind of intelligently with with the strings. And I know there was a bunch yeah. of work to be done, especially in the JavaScript side, to to be ready for it. Uh, but it but it kept the code base a lot simpler. So smartling.io, so you know it's cool. Well, it's smartling. I think it's literally smartling.com. But is there a smartling.io oh, okay. too? There is an IO. Yeah, I was gonna say it's cool if it has an IO. I, I mean, that's true. I don't have. I don't get an IO really. Oh, well, maybe it's localized. Maybe to it's localizing to Texas <laughs> yeah, to, to my doorstep. It's like Weird. this guy likes IO domains more than .com. Um, we'll put the link to the the Codex article in there, and you know, and whatever else we we talked about. Let's this that was not a fast one. We'll try to make this next one. Yeah, a, I, a little bit. I'd like to apologize to the nation state of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Near Benita writes in, and he did an audio question, but it was a uh, it was old and it was a W. UMA and sorry, can you just use the MP3 if you if you see it? That would generally be easier for us. He says, first of all, I love the show, uh, etc. So single page uh, websites became kind of a big deal with their ability to make your life much easier when going mobile. I guess we'll asterisk that because that's interesting sentiment right there. As long as just offering a different cool look, I would say that they probably got popular because of speed mostly because there's you don't have to load as many different resources when page changes. Uh, However, from what I know about SEO, these sites probably rank very poorly. I have heard from some that there are solutions uh, like having a different version for a user and a different version for a search bot. But I've also heard push state being mentioned in that context a lot. Push state being that JavaScript API that changes the URL without the page reloading, which is before Mm -hmm. push state was impossible thing to do. Uh, Near asks, what is your take on this? Is it possible to have a single page website perform well in terms of SEO? If so, how? So this is classic, right? The the second that classic, <laughs> the second yeah. that like kind of 
page changes without page reloads became a thing, which really happened before push state. There was like mm-hmm. this whole little mini movement where we could you would um, change the URL's hash because hash cha- changing the hash does not reload the page. So it was like a way to change the URL and link to something unique, but only the hash. And the danger there being if JavaScript doesn't load, it's just a, it's just a hash on the homepage then, and it will just load the homepage content, and that's a little dangerous. People were thinking about SEO even back in those days, and Google created some some stuff that says, oh, hey, if you do it this way, make sure that you follow these rules so that your app can still be crawled. It isn't true that 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 Google is totally a JavaScript free, you know, the bots that come through your site run JavaScript is the general mm-hmm. the general thinking. So I don't think you're you're a hundred percent screwed, although hash banging is just very frowned upon these days because of it's just a lot easier to get wrong, I think. What are your thoughts on it? I think I have a few more things to say about so, it. So, I mean, I th- I am of the opinion that you should just go for it and Google will catch up. Like Google will detect traffic and content and know that there's something different. I mean, you have to have a URL change at some point. I, I think that's important. I don't think you can just like open it and just let it, you know, do things in the background without telling the user there's been movement. Um you know, an example of that would be RDO. RDO is like not indexed, you know, their, their music thing because that would, whatever, they want to keep that secret. But, um, but like something like, I, I think, you know, your homepage or whatever should be totally SEO indexed. And I've seen posts where there's like different sides where people are like, we offer SEO services for Ember apps or whatever. But then there's also like, hmm. uh, like there are like S- Ember or Angular apps that are totally, or Backbone apps that are totally um, already like they're indexed totally. They're fine. They're like, and they Google. don't have a backend router that mimics their Ember router. They just, it's just, yep. it just works. Hmm. Yeah. It just works. See, so. That's interesting. That's, that's the Dave. Just, just <laughs> go free balling on it. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, obviously like, you know, it costs, I'm whatever I'm, <laughs> I just am like, let's do it. Let's just go for it. You know? And that's maybe not good for people. Mm. Um, there are services like pre render.io, which does, you know, allows your JavaScript apps to be crawled perfectly by search engines. You know, one way to um, do it is just to just take your time and, and make sure that all the URLs on your site load without javascript i mean it's not impossible to do that it just means that you need a server side router that can handle the same things that your front end router can do and i have a feeling that that will be like the next thing that will be like the post ember thing is that you can have one file that both javascript can read and your server can read that handles routing for both mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's the next level. Routing meaning URLs, people. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I just mean like imagine like Discourse is a classic example of this because it does use Ember, and I assume it's it's highly SEO capable as it is, and it's a single page site for the most part. You land either on the homepage of a Discourse powered forums or on a thread or whatever, and it just it it, it has an upfront, a you know kind of a somewhat painful upfront load, but then once it's loaded, you're like good to go. Every URL you go to it, you you know you go. Back 
back to a, a forum, you go to a different you know, thread, you go to the homepage or whatever, the URL's changing, you're bouncing around the site, but there's no page reload again. It's in a way, it's a single page website. And that's what Nier is talking about is that the page never reloads. It's kind of just chugging along, doing stuff, replacing what you see, replacing the URLs, but the the page never reloads in the way that, you know, the spinner goes and the page goes white and it, you know, it does all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought a little bit. That's what a single page site is. And, and that's a kind of a classic example for it. And, and presumably does just fine in search engines. Well, and it, yeah, if you're angular app or if your backbone, you know, single pager like fails a lot, then it's going to fail on the Google bot too. So you need to make sure your latency and all that is good. So uh, so I'm sure. And then oh. you can also like use webmaster tools and it'll tell you exactly what pages it is indexed. You could generate a sitemap because uh, that's, that's easy to, to do. Blah blah blah. Wow. Those are there yeah. And there's also just a zillion blog posts about this because it's Yep. Uh, All right. Let me do a sponsor, lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com, a huge learning resource on the web. Tons of technology stuff on there. There's all kinds of classics about the type of stuff that we talk about here on Chop Talk Show. For example, I have a course on there about WordPress and about building themes in WordPress. It's a little old, but the the the, um, the spirit of it is there. Kind of we start from a blank white canvas and go all the way through having kind of a finished theme there. There's courses about SVG. I just looked this morning because I was like, I want. I'm trying to like level up and just know everything I can about SVG these days. And there's some course on there I should probably watch. There's a course called JavaScript for Web Designers. <laughs> Little relevant around here. All the classics, the stuff we talk about here, but there because they have you know so many thousands upon thousands of courses there, the 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 breadth is wide. So there's 505 courses on there. Whoa, that's crazy of just web stuff. But there's way many more. That's just one of like 10 categories of stuff they have on there. Just this week, there's like designing a logo for a band, writing press releases, Monday productivity pointers you know like they do have so much stuff on there of all kinds of different stuff so that's the place to go for a, a, a relatively inexpensive education in this in this world of technology that we live in go to lynda.com slash shop talk for seven days free and i even saw a tweet the other day somebody's like i'm gonna use that but i need to time it just perfectly so i have yeah. a week that, <laughs> that i just pulled it up it's zachary kelly thanks for listening uh he was just like seven free days I need to plan this out. <laughs> I need to, I need to use this wisely. So, uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you know, and like if you're in school or whatever and you're like about to like get a jump into the summer, like it's probably a good time for all that. So, um, yeah, well, awesome. Perfect. Sal, we get back into the show. Oh. I have an audio question from Paul Ferguson calls in. Hi, Chris and Dave. Paul Ferguson here from the UK. Loving the show, um, but I've got a little question for you. I tend to, with starting from scratch on projects, build all the markup first, and then once I'm happy and it seems nicely structured and I've got all the classes that I think look useful in there, then start on the CSS. I'm just wondering if this is something of a workflow you might you tend to use, and if so... I tend to find myself copy-pasting all of those classes back into the style sheet so that they can be used for styling. I was just wondering if you'd come across any tools that make this a lot easier and sort of import 
um, the basic classes and maybe IDs um, into the CSS or copy paste in so that you can get started without having to root through all of your markup to see what you have used for classes, etc. Thank you very much and loving the show. Bye. All right. So it sounds like Paul, if I'm kind of hearing him correctly, is that he will kind of scaffold out a page, right? In just HTML. HTML. Just literally just look HTML. at the design and just write all the HTML up and down the it's page. It's like header, ID, site header, uh, main, ID, site main. Mm. You know, he's kind of just cruising down footer, ID, footer, post, class, post, or whatever, or article, class, post. So intuitive HTML. Right. And he's just um, kind of using his brain to think about what IDs and, and, and probably more like lots of classes um, make sense for this content that I'm looking at on the page. Then once he gets all the way done with that, then starts in on the CSS and uh, starts looking at those tags and classes and IDs and stuff, start figuring out what um what you know what to style and how to style it and stuff and he's like well that's you know that works fine the html part works fine but the css part is a little slow i mean it seems like the kind of thing a computer could help you with right it knows what you're using over there and i just get some you know some empty selectors to work with yeah i i don't know of a tool that does that i've seen Um, it i've seen one I've seen exactly what he's talking about, and I cannot remember what it is. So maybe it'll show up in the comments, or maybe I can do some Googling around for it later. I also so, just – oh, yeah, what? what? Uh, so it, like, just scrapes your page, your HTML, right. and then, like, gives you, like, a CSS Yeah, but template. what does it give you? Do, are, is everything tag yeah. qualified? Do you Are you sure you even want all those IDs to style with? I mean, I would think chances are mostly those IDs are just good practice for, for – for you know jump links on your thing do you want those two or is it configurable and then if you're the designer of this tool how deep do you go with allowing people to configure what the output is and then is all do you want all that stuff in one file or isn't the chances are that you're going to be breaking stuff off into smaller files anyway and like oh i don't know it, just, it doesn't seem when i think of this it, it seems okay maybe this will work for a few people but it doesn't seem like generic enough of a tool that's going to work for most people's workflow i just and I and I also feel like generally it's not as simple as I write the HTML first, the the CSS second, and then I'm done. Like it's way more bouncy back and forthy than that. And I think I just think yeah. that <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think you know. Um, yeah, it, I, it would be cool. If, I I understand the need for this, but I also think like yeah, maybe you just like cruise through and uh, just start i don't know <laughs> just start messing with stuff um you could you, here's a thing you could do uh open it up in chrome without css and like then start clicking on things and making an inspector style sheet and then save that out if you wanted like clicking on the elements you want to style that's where it breaks down for me is i don't think i want to style everything every element you know or or yeah you know and does it just spit out one class or does it know that i when i do header uh class navigation i want that to be better different than my footer class navigation or whatever that's that's where it breaks down for me is like classes and does it do know? it in dom order and do i want my css in dom order and what things are tag qualified and what aren't and what what, what in what cases do i want you know combinators or 
descendant selectors. It just doesn't. It's just. It seems like it would be helpful, like super rarely. <laughs> yeah, I've been working a lot on the like atomic design stuff, like Pattern Lab and all that lately, uh, and I love that, but. But this is sort of like, yeah, it's sort of like you code up your header and then you style your header. So you kind of do it module by module as you move down the page or whatever. Um, or you could do like do the header and then do the footer and then do all the stuff in between. That's pretty classic. Um, so that might be a way to think about it, too, is when you're coding, like when you're rage coding <laughs> like the markup, uh, maybe take a break after each kind of layer of your sandwich and style that mm-hmm. you know dress dress your your bun when you're and then add the condiments you know always put mayo and cheese together and and then always mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. i used to have rules mayo goes on the meat and then yeah or the tomato sometimes i like it that to, way. dude tomato's a rogue beast because it'll make your sandwich fall apart that's how I feel. Yeah, anyway. I go thin, and then I like to uh-huh. salt them a little bit because it just go. It's just the, the salt will just it'll fall off a piece of cheese, but the tomato will just suck it right up. Oh well, there's something I haven't tried. Well, there you go. Thank you for listening to the Sandwich Podcast, <laughs> <laughs> the Sandwich Talk Show. <laughs> Oscar writes in. There's one thing that I can't manage well. That is vertical alignment. I know the theory. Take the p tag line height and only use multiplications of this number. I think he's talking about vertical rhythm more than vertical align. Uh, vertical rhythm being that like you know text up and down the page that kind of uh, like if you laid a piece of notebook paper over your website that everything mm-hmm. kind of aligns to the the rules on that thing and it just kind of like feels better to your eyeballs to know that this site had a grid plan not only horizontal lines but vertical or your or vertical lines you know grids and stuff but horizontal lines as well uh but it's a real pain in the ass for me uh what are the tools that help me with this concept where can i find really girls about articles about it for dummies i always end up doing it by trial and error and i'm never satisfied with the results so vertical rhythm is tough the, it is tough, and I've there's plenty of posts about it. There's, you know, first of all, I know the theory. Take the p tag line height. That seems a little weird. Like you wouldn't probably apply p, uh, line height to a p tag. That's one of those things that you, you know, like why would you apply it to a p tag and not an li or a dd or a td or all these other things that can also contain uh, some text? You'd probably want to apply it to something like the body and just let it cascade down to those individual text elements but that's fine I, I still understand what you're saying you'd probably apply it to the body and then you know headers generally have a different line height than the p tag does because like they you know like 1.4 is super common as a line height for body text but 1.4 is probably a little much for a header because if a header wraps down it tends to be too much white space in between the headers and i know that's generalizing because this is a very you know typeface by typeface thing but that's what i find to be true overall uh, what I'm trying to say is then, uh, like, do you, the, what screws this up immediately is stuff like bottom margin on a header. So you have the, a line height implicitly sets up a nice vertical rhythm. But as soon as the, like the font size changes for a header and that's in the middle of some copy, boom, you're off. You know, you're the the 
you know, the, the overlay of notebook paper is no longer lined up anymore. So what do you do then? Do you force it? Are you like, okay, well, I'm going to have to adjust that bottom margin to be like 0.1 M extra much so that this, the next paragraph down fits that vertical rhythm <laughs> match again. And I just feel like mm-hmm. every time you go to battle with this, there's all kinds of little things that end up screwing it up. And then you end up in a little CSS war trying to get it right. For example, like, okay, you get it right for all your headers and block quotes and pre tags and code and paragraphs and lists and tables and every, you're like, you forced it and you got it. And then you put an image in there and the image is one pixel too tall. So it's broken again. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, is this. A is it worth this battle at all? What do you get out of it when you if you've won the battle? What what is there? Is it do is your page somehow magically you know people don't recognize it, but unconsciously they can tell, and it feels better. I I think it's a really like, uh, and I'll say that because I've done this right. Like it's kind of just a very like anal (laughs) really desire right like if just you want it to be perfect and perfect but then like when you introduce responsive web design where everything squeezes and flexes that gets really weird um so nothing should really line up everywhere and i'm not saying just abandon it entirely i'm just saying it the the perfect mock-up your psd your pixel perfect vertical rhythm really starts falling apart. Um, there are tricks you can do. Like you could create a background image with your gradient or like with, you know, with your lines, your grid lines. Um, I've done that before and tried to align everything to that. Um, that's totally. And now you have a bunch of code on your website that does this, does this really nerdy thing, you know, there, yeah. I've seen JavaScript that will adjust the size of images to make sure that they, you know, they they don't just they're not just fluid. They jump to points that will adhere to the size of that grid, and it's all so clever and so cool. And if you look at a site that really does have good, good vertical rhythm, you can occasionally feel like, wow, that's nice. It's nice. I get it. It feels, you know, it just it feels a little bit more cohesive than maybe some sloppy typography I would do. But mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a concept I think you know and don't quote me on this but I think it you know well it must right it it comes from print design right surely right people have thought about this in print design long before the web ever existed and I think it matters a little bit more when you're looking at for example an opened up newspaper you're seeing so much content there that uh, the you'll you'll you know the the word here is vertical rhythm right you rhythm mm-hmm. meaning you can you know see a chunk and it feels in rhythm with another chunk and feels in rhythm with another chunk i feel like you see so much less on the web that there's less time for that rhythm to develop so it's kind of like does 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 let's say your page is 12,000 pixels tall does the rhythm that's happening in the first 600 800 1200 pixels of it matter that it's still in rhythm with something that's 10,000 pixels down from that doesn't it matter more like that the viewport has some rhythm to it and doesn't the just the line height naturally have that feel to it once you get down that far anyway i think there's a good jason santa maria post on this too where he just says like oh my god no <laughs> You know, like just make sure the type looks good and shut up. You know, yeah. I mean, there's really kind of it's it's that thing. It's like, do you want to just 
be a slave to it kind of does that make sense like like yeah well chris you, <laughs> that, you're like, focusing on this thing now this like this this grid this notebook paper is ruling your life now instead of does the aesthetics of this website like that should be your slave does this look good mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's tough i mean i i, I don't want to i guess i'm being a downer but like uh, it, it's just it's not it's not like it doesn't work like you hope it would you know where you're just like you know button button you know just some values and i'm good you know like mm-hmm. um i mean i i'm whipping up a code pen right now okay <laughs> it's it's z capital e m e s right here we go Here's- so uh but like to get it you know to like a vertical rhythm of 24 picks. All your paragraphs have to have a margin top of six pixels to like fit that line perfectly. And then you start adding in stuff below it, you know, and it's probably not going to work out perfectly. So you have to like yeah. make special rules for everything. So yeah, and um, pixels is dangerous uh, right off the gate. Cause then that's, they'll always be six pixels to, to, regardless yep. of if you bump up or down the text. So really you should be using M's and then you're in crazy math land. Cause that six pixels is a little arbitrary to begin with. It's not a result of an equation. <sighs> and then you can't, uh, and then you can't have margin. There is something attractive M, about that. When you first learn about the concept as a CSS <laughs> nerd, it does draw you in. You're like, Oh yeah, I bet I could do this. You know? I, mm-hmm. Every CSS nerd I've known has has dabbled with this in their own way in some in some case, and that's cool. But mostly, just make sure the type looks good, and I think you're okay. <gasps> yeah, Jeff. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if we're gonna have much to say about this. Jeff Natech uh, writes, and have you guys had any luck using MAMP on Mountain Lion? I haven't gotten it to load despite looking at multiple solutions, changing ports, etc. Because of the way it comes loaded with Apache, I don't think that's new to Mountain Lion, isn't it? You know, yeah. Is every time, every time MAMP or OSX updates, it breaks MAMP basically because it installs a new version of PHP locally and stuff like that. And MAMP just has you have to wait for MAMP to update. Um, that is maybe why you want to look at using node. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Uh, and there's plenty, I, you know, I've had people show me like, Oh, there's all this stuff is built into OSX now. So you just go to the command line and learn it that way. I still like map. I still like that. There's a simple UI and I can go add a new domain and it automatically adds it to my host's file. And I just point it at a folder, which I can do through the finder file picker. And it just kind of works. I recently upgraded to, They, for the first time, maybe ever since I've used it, they upgraded kind of the UI of map. It's version three now instead of 2.2. And I did lose for a reason. However, I did it. I lost all my files I had in it, but that took me like 10 minutes to put them all back. You know, it wasn't a big deal at all. And there's mm-hmm. some nice upgrades to it. For one thing, you can now like hide it and show it with, and there's like key commands for that, which there never used to be in MAMP, which used to kill me, but it works fine. I, I, you know, try MAMP three, Jeff, it seems to work fine for me in mountain line. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it works, but it probably, it, this maybe came in like right when it, things had upgraded or broke or something yeah, like that. Possibly. So, you know, I didn't realize MAMP updated. It's been a while since I've used it. Huh. All right. There you go. <laughs> I'm learning tips. Shop talk show. James Scrub writes in, I'd like to use version control on my projects. I've tried both tower and get GUIs. 
I can't get, I can get things going, but like always, uh, somewhere along the line, I get an error, my code messes up, it now gives me the heebie-jeebies to use version control, and it's put me right off, and any do's and don'ts uh, or suggested workflows Mm. would be appreciated. It's so hard to know what that moment was with Git that made you... It, you know, all he says is my code gets messed up, which should be Git's mm-hmm. thing that it d- never does. You know, like it can't. Git is like known for its ability to kind of always be backupable, and it and it rarely, you know, especially it sounds like James is probably kind of working alone here. Maybe not, but I don't know. Is uh, worried something is going wrong with Git and his code's getting screwed up in his words. So what would be so awesome, James, is to to like be there at that moment. That's like the moment that you need to capture the moment of confusion because there's so many super smart Git nerds out there that could probably explain to you exactly what's happening when you're at this moment. Uh, but since we we can't know that from your question, it's 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 hard to give you any answer. Do you have a, a feeling, Dave, of what that moment was like for James, or what do you, what um, do you think it was? So you're so if you're like pulling stuff down and editing stuff, merge conflict. And, I think it's a merge conflict, and you know what a merge conflict is? It gives you this big like arrow, 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 arrow. You know, <laughs> yeah, you're like right. head or whatever. Yeah, head head arrow 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 yeah. and then it's like right that's uh, a case whatever. where you could feel like it is manipulating your code and it can make you make it feel scary for a minute because you're like whoa what the heck is that yeah. it is scary and it is messed up and like and like but the reason it's so gnarly and so ugly is it's like here's a problem uh i've tried to merge these two files and there's a conflict file, you know, the, the current file or the like one you tried to pull is different than the one you have. So, um, uh, so you need to kind of go through, weed through and figure out which ones you, which, which of those you want to keep, you know? Um, and there's kind of like workflow stuff. One thing I kind of say is like, I'll never commit, like multiple tasks really like if you were like i'm working on the header and the footer and then i touched up the article and then i like you know made some changes yeah. to all the sidebar just select everything and go and, made, yeah, made updates like, yeah made updates don't do that like commit like on the header level like like kind of like basically like make yourself this is this is where like the self-discipline comes in and it's really hard i always just make a github issue for myself on the project like on my own if it's my own personal one, um, I'll just be like, uh, update header. And then when I commit, I'm like fixed header. And I only work on the header. If I worked on touched other files or whatever, um, that aren't related. Which is no big deal. Cause you can select individual file. Like you can, you could, you know, you could accidentally work for two hours and have this huge slew of files, but then you can just, che- you know, not get cherry pick, but literally <laughs> metaphorically yeah. cherry pick, which ones you're selecting to, yeah, I'm, I like break it up into commit. two commits. I'm like, this one was the header commit, and then this is all the work on the footer. And and you know, get, the Git GUI is actually really nice for that. It's really intuitive. You just like highlight the lines that you're like, oh yeah, this is part of. If it's one file, you're just like, these were all part of this one. Um, and that helps you keep that helps error conflicts from happening. Um, if you commit, like if you can discipline yourself to work on a task based 
um, kind of lifestyle rather than just be like, I'm just going to kind of work on the site. Whatever bothers me, I'm just going to fix. That's a good work for sure. That's where you get into get merges. If there is a merge, you're going to have to deal with merges because that, for the most part, Git does a really good job of this, but it comes up specifically when someone else is working on a file and it's the same file that you've made local changes on and perhaps those changes are on the same line. Git cannot guess who's right in that situation. So it has to tell you about that. It does work kind of magically. I think if you worked at like the top of a file and somebody else worked on like the bottom of a file, it will merge those. And it's just kind of amazing that it can do that, but it can. But if you change the same files and the same kind of places and gets confused about that, uh, you have to deal with it. And like Dave said, it will insert a bunch of like arrow, 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 head stuff. What that means is the chunk that says head is the branch that you're currently on and then there's will be a bunch of more arrows, and the chunk that's below that is from the branch that you're trying to merge in, or maybe not even branch, but it's the stuff from the same branch that you're trying to pull down. Uh, and then a bunch of more arrows. So three sets of arrows. The top block is from your current work, and the stuff below is the stuff you're trying to pull down. And you just kind of got to look at it. And it, there could be multiple of these blocks in the same file. So if you resolve one at the top, make sure you look all the way through the file to find it. And you might just have to hand fix it up. You know, look at both mm-hmm. chunks and kind of kind of figure it out. If you're using Tower and you just know, like once in a while it'll just come up and it'll be like, you know, it's a change to some file that there's a conflict in, but you didn't touch it, and you're like, what? Uh, the stuff that I'm pulling down is almost surely right. You know, somebody else touched it, and I don't. I never deal with that file. They have like GUI commands like resolve using theirs. Theirs meaning the stuff you're trying to pull down, and it will just resolve that conflict with the new code. Uh, or if you know you're right, there's the reverse of that and stuff. You got to mm-hmm. get done. What's cool is it. It says you know you, you have this feeling that it's messing up your code. The cool part about that is it will not let you commit back a merge conflict. See, there's never any risk of you sending back up this nasty code. It makes you deal with it on your local machine before any of that code can go back. So you don't really run the risk of 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 nastied up code making it back to the repository. Mm-hmm. And then there's like. Two other days, if you feel like you're like going to go into experimental mode and just riff, uh, snap a branch, like make a new branch um, of, of what you're doing. Uh, and then you can mess it up. You could totally break it. You could like whatever, change the background pink and then commit all those changes to your to your branch because you're like, yeah, I like it or whatever. And then just switch back to master and they're gone. Um it's basically like you can the branching you just create a sub repo that is only yours and you know that no one ever has to see um you know that that can be beneficial breaking up into files into really arbitrary lengths like I, i've heard some companies like anything over 100 lines is uh or maybe it was a thousand a thousand seems a little better but like any file bigger than that is just prone to merge conflicts and stuff like that. So break it up into smaller things. That's where SAS and stuff like that comes in handy. Indeed. All right. Let's rapid fire some more. Uh, Courtney, Courtney, darling, darling. I just, I feel like I was listening. I was watching some Andy Griffith show. And so the darlings, which are, <laughs> Oh, my darling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you know that song is really tragic? It's about a miner's daughter that. Oh my god! Really? It's just like you. Like you are fat. my sunshine. Is pretty twisted too. It's just yeah. folk. It's just that's how it goes. That's, I'm gonna look up that one. Though. Can you explain? Courtney Darlin asks. When or why it would be better to use extend in certain instances versus creating a mix in and using include. This is in SAS, right? At extend, at mix in, at include. Uh, maybe you could provide examples of these type of instances. Courtney, the classic thing to know about extend is, and I think I made a slide of this one time when I was talking about SAS, is that they are conceptually similar and that it allows you to kind of take a, a chunk of styling and apply it to, to multiple things in kind of an efficient way. Mixin is very easy to understand. You might make a mixin called like dave and dave has like with equals 50 yep. percent or something and then anytime you want to 200 anytime you want to use that uh it might be a clear fix or whatever you can just say at at include dave at include dave at include dave and do it all over your style sheet because if that ever changes it's very easy to change you change it in one place that's a conceptually easy thing to understand i think yeah let's say i'm losing weight and uh, you know hey. hey might be a font stack could be could be anything could be a yeah. it's a little bit like a variable but instead of it just being a single value it's like a block of stuff it could be one declaration multiple declarations whatever it's kind of an abstraction for a chunk of code and mixins can also you know be a little bit like a function where they will take a value and 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 change it so you might be like yeah i don't know let, let, but you you get the point of it it's a reusable chunk of code uh, extend is actually a little bit similar to that in that you, you've kind of defined this chunk of code somewhere. Maybe it's a class, right? And that class is dot Dave. And you want, you have another class called dot Chris and you, I want, it wants to have all the same stuff that, that dot Dave has too. And then maybe I'll change some of it or add some stuff to it. You could say dot Chris and then say at extend dot Dave. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's now it's a little bit like include in that I've taken this chunk of code that is dot Dave and I've I've added it to dot Chris. But the way that it does that, it doesn't just co- copy and paste a chunk of code and put it down there. It comma separates the selector uh, dot Dave and it will be dot Dave comma dot Chris. So it's just kind of more efficient in that it, it doesn't have to copy and paste the the code in multiple places like a mix in does. So it's like an efficient and and the one of the slides I put said like if you're creating a mix in that doesn't take any variable it doesn't take any parameters you know that's probably mm-hmm. something that could be better off as an extend because this you're just if it doesn't take any parameters it's for sure the same chunk of code everywhere if a mixin does take parameters that means it's a bit of a different chunk of code that moves everywhere so anytime mm-hmm. you use a mixin that doesn't have any params, look into using extend instead. And the classic one is to make like a button style that has all kinds of stuff that defines on how a button looks on your site. And then you have a variation of that style called like button big or button green or button full width or something like that. You might make a new class name that's not just dot button. It's dot button underscore underscore full width or however that work, however you like to do that kind of thing. And then you would try at extend dot button. And that just means that 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 button full width is going to pull in all the stuff that dot button had 
Actually, it's going to comma separate the selector, like we just talked about, and yeah. then and then right below that, you might go like font size two hundred percent or something. It's a big old button. It changes that one thing. Mm-hmm. Then in your HTML, you can just you don't have to use both class names. And I've worked at some places that just went nuts with the class names on buttons. It would be literally in the HTML, it'd be button class equals button button big button green button right button multi button. And you'd be like, oh my god, you wouldn't have to do that if you use an extension kind of route you could just say button full width knowing that in the css it's going to get it's going to pull down everything all the the selectors will become a separated such that it will get all the stuff that it needs just through that way so that's my explanation of extend i think that i think you nailed it i i always just think of extending as sort of like um you want to you just want to like Take something that exists and kind of modify it, right? The button example is perfect. I want it to be blue or font size 200%, but I still want it to be a button, basically. Right. You're just extending that usage of it and include uh, like a mix-in. If it's like a function, that's a big one. Of course, you'll want to use include. But, you know, if if it's just like, you know, a, like for me, like a font stack is a big one. Like I want this to be the serif font. It has to be this font. It has to be bold. It has to be font style, like normal, you know, like you have mm-hmm. to reset these values. I like that. Um, you know, I, I like to use it in those kind of yeah, places. It's where, a mix in without any parameters. Yeah. It, it's just kind of like a really terse, you know, uh, it's sort of, Sort of like a function or or an object in that regard, you know. Maybe I'm just. It's just kind of like this. This is this, you know. And and if I really think yeah. about the comma separated part of extend, because it really can't be used unless it ultimately generates some kind of comma separated selectors. Yeah. Um, so so That's think good. of extend and commas. <laughs> yep. All right. Oh, deep dive. That was good. That was a bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Big nuts. All right. Here we go. Cooper Dukes writes in. I just said his name in the most Texas accent. I hope you're from Texas. I'm dealing with a client now who has provided a very complicated PSD mockup for every view of the site and expects pixel-perfect perfection in all browsers. I need to buy a pop filter for my mic. Uh, I've dealt with many excellent designers before, and I would say they understood the level of fidelity. Always has been more of a reasonable translation than understanding Photoshop different, uh, and browsers are different mediums. Um, and accommodations have to be made for CSS, performance, accessibility, trade-offs. Uh, the client, however, seems to think that every mock should be coded perfectly and so going so far as to overlay the PSD onto the coded site and point out uh, one or two pixel difference. This attitude, despite my warnings about performance, uh, forcing me to use complicated, heavy, transparent PNGs instead of lightweight CSS3 for minimal visual differences and accessibility, forcing me... To lock uh, content high areas, not to mention image text, uh, image in, or text embedded in images, frowny face. I'll be amending my contract to clarify this issue. But my question is now, what do you think is reasonable level of fidelity to the mock-up uh, to expect from a developer? I hope that made sense. I maybe read it bad. No, it's 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 my it's minor p- dyslexia. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, clients. 
the client in this scenario wants pixel perfection and they're nuts about it in this case. And, and uh, there's two ways to, I feel like the classic answer that most people are going to expect from shop talk show is that you're right, Cooper. And that's ridiculous to lay over a, you know, a JPEG of a website over actual HTML and expect one or two pixel differences. I mean, that's crazy. They need to expect that that's going to be different browser to browser. A tiny little font rendering difference can easily cause a one or two pixel difference. And oh my God, don't sweat those things that are that, are that tiny and different. I mean, that's the classic answer. Like, oh, the peop- they need to understand that, especially if you start fixing these things with, you know, go to war with CSS, as we've, as we've said before, and fix all these tiny little things, or even like force heights where you shouldn't be forcing a height just to fix a little issue like that. You're actually kind of hurting accessibility and kind of, well, maybe not accessibility. You're, you but, might be creating a problem right. if they change the text later. Yeah, you might be. Uh, and so that's nice that you're thinking about changing your contract to be like, listen, I'm going to take the spirit of your design and get as close as I can, but I'm going to do it with my s- knowledge set and skill set too, knowing how to make things more, you know, ability to like, what if this content changes? This area should be able to grow and push this over here and move this down. And you're going to use your skill set too. And, and that and that pixel perfection is kind of a, a dumb thing. I should say though, when I think about these issues sometimes, the answer that you might not expect is that I think you should you should try to get pretty close to this. I've seen situations like this where there's somebody like you, Cooper, I'm not, you know, this, I'm sure you're a very reasonable person, but they're, as a front-end developer, they're being whiny about the designer. And then I look at their work and it looks like they were flying fast and loose with the design. It's not, it's mm. not close enough. I look at it and be like, well, they're mad because you didn't do a very good job. Yeah, I've seen that too. So you know, there is a level of of fidelity that I you know can be expected, and you you get what I'm trying to say. Just just so we're getting real, there used to be a time where I would round up every number that was not a zero or a five. (laughs) 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 I've done some pretty crappy things in the past in the name of like, well, it's the website, man. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm not gonna use a two. That's ridiculous. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think you maybe have to switch modes, you know, like, uh, you know, I, a, I would charge for this. Like if, if this designer is now like super, uh, involved and want us to, wants it to be super like pixel perfect. I mean, dude, that takes time. That takes money. I hope you're not doing a fixed bid on this. Um, uh, you know, just, just for, but, yeah, if you did a fixed bid, they're probably like, well, it needs to be, you know, this and this. But like, I mean, it, it's you're doing, you know, if if they want it to be pixel perfect, that takes a lot of time. And maybe you need to explain that in your contract. Like, like I, I am very good at translating the spirit into the web and stuff like that. So uh, like, <laughs> so sorry, one second. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry, someone's at my door. Um but uh, yeah, so I think you need to like be very, very, very like, I don't know, just like this costs extra money what you're asking for. You know, I, I do my best and I do really good, but this is extreme. This is sort of like sure. the high end of, of my services or whatever. That, that's how I would pitch that it. That sounds reasonable. So, um, we got to do this yeah. environments for humans ad. Did we? 
Let's hit it. Because uh, yeah, I have yeah, some I questions. Well, it's it's the craft CMS summit. I think this is an interesting thing to talk about for a minute anyway. First of all, what the heck is craft? Before we do a sponsorship on it, which we would do either way, but I think for the for the benefit of Shop Talk Show listeners, what is craft CMS? Is it's it's a little new, isn't it? Do you know much about it? Yeah, so it, it's the guy who uh, did all of the plugins for Expression Engine is now like did his own CMS, and so now he's like, uh, and yeah, it, it's it sounds like a big rift or whatever, and there was some hot drama. You could go listen to it, but um, from my understanding, it's just kind of like this new. It's kind of taking right. learnings from the EE world and is now just kind of its own thing. And, and a lot of the people I know, uh, people at happy cog, uh, my friends over at Techo, they're like big fans and they're kind of like, yeah. this is, this is cool. And expression this is engine isn't easier. over. There's plenty of people that still use that too. And, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just, this is a new CMS. People seem to like it. Uh, that's what it is. It's buildwithcraft.com. HappyCog does use it, and uh, Vidget uses it, I think, for stuff. And it's just, you know, it's a CMS, and I'm, I'm sure it has some EE-like feel to it and that um, whatever. I think it feels more like EE than it does like WordPress probably, right? You, you're kind of expected to provide a little bit more of like what is yeah, the data structure going to be like. On. Yeah. yeah. Sure, but but still lightweight and beautiful and powerful and has interesting stuff into it. And it's certainly worth knowing about. Certainly check out Craft, but this isn't an ad for Craft. This is like if you're already interested in Craft, Environments for Humans are doing the very first kind of Craft uh, conference. And it's a summit, so it's one of the online ones. And so you can attend it from anywhere in the world. It's one day, uh, <clears throat> and it's at Environments for humans.com slash 2014 says craft cms summit um it is happening on what is this june 17th so you know we're in may now so it's coming up next month uh it's it's a one-day thing it's very inexpensive it's only 99 dollars you could attend and some of the people from craft cms are going to be at a branding kelly from pixel and tonic is doing the state of craft cms and it looks like at the end they'll kind of wrap up with some q a about craft but you know there's somebody there from Vidget, trevor davis there's anthony colangelo from happy cog being there going to talk about you know a specific things a lot of looks like a lot of people are talking about twig which is kind of like the, sounds like the the syntax the kind of templating language that goes with it mm-hmm. so it should be really good if you're interested in craft and and using it and or or, or whatever or you played a little bit and want to level up this is the conference to go to especially being a simple inexpensive one day thing where you can listen to people online and chat with them and ask questions and stuff classic environments for humans looks like a good one folks yeah I think you should. I, I think it's worth it. Um, all right, let's do one more. I think I got uh, people peeking in my shed here, so I should probably wrap it up. Here we go. Ron Gilmore uh, writes in, in responsive web design, what are the advantages and disadvantages of including media queries in line in your CSS mm. versus putting them in a separate file? Uh, for instance, Bootstrap uses a separate responsive.css file containing media queries in addition to the basic Bootstrap. I'm not sure CSS. when this came in. I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I haven't, I've, I've really literally never used bootstrap nothing against it i actually think it holds a pretty nice place in the world of of web design but do they the question is are they loading it up as a separate link tag and html too 
Yeah, it's a separate link tag. Okay. To make, or it could be a separate SAS file. Well, if that's different. I mean, if it's yeah. a separate SAS file, that means it gets squished together, and that way, it's ultimately it behaves just the same way as is what you would call inline. Yeah. Well, I think it's a separate file right now, but it's basically all the media queries are offloaded into a different mm. dimension. So the question is: Is it was that a developer choice that made it easier to maintain that way? And this might be a bootstrap. Like two or three edition, I think Bootstrap has gone kind of mobile first from there. But um, yeah, so I think so. Somebody who was it? It was a uh, 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 blanking on her name. Ah, Kimberly Blessing. Yeah. She did a bunch of studies. Like, is inline and in separate file are they different? Like, does is there a performance deal? And it's basically like no difference. Like, if you put it after. You do like module yeah, media that. query or or put media queries all at the bottom of your page, or if you do like separate CSS. Well, if you do separate CSS files, you have a you have a different performance problem um, that you should minify things down into one file. Yeah, that basically. seems like more important. Um, I'm glad she's done the research on it, but it does yeah. seem like you know even you know that the the browsers chew through media queries like nobody's business and i would think that loading up them in a different link tag the the performance hit that you're going to get from that is just the fact that it's a additional http request yeah that's network latency that's bad for mobile and it's going to load it either way even if it doesn't need it yep. you know like that's that's yep. some classic research too so like don't do that that's almost surely bad yeah so i think I, yeah i think like the idea is just like Make sure you're minifying. Make sure it, it doesn't really matter if you put them at the bottom or in another file. Um, but again, back to my experience, like pattern labbing and whatever, I love that I can like, you know, if I'm looking at the header, I have all the media queries for the header in the same header partial in my SAS. You know, I don't have to go over to... Um, 960.css and find all my header declarations. It's like I, I'm working in a very specific module. I'm controlling what that module does. Um, so that's how I like to operate personally. Hopefully that helps. What do you think? Is that good? Do we answer questions? I think did we, we did a fantastic job. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another rapid fire episode we really appreciate your listenership yeah and um be sure to follow us on twitter at shop talk show uh subscribe to our podcast your top podcatcher and um yeah thank you guys so much for listening there's one other thing i wanted to say uh you guys are the best that's a, that's maybe all i want oh nice we're gonna do, to be doing it. a a we're gonna have a few more rapid fires here there's there's Summer Summer's travel. Hitting here. There it is. So, but um, but uh, the feedback we generally get like is them? that you like it, right? So maybe, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what but to tell you. Feedback. You're going to get them whether you like them or not. So, <laughs> yeah, I kind of have this plane ticket, you see. But no, we. But uh, yeah, so uh, thanks, for, and, and we'll be back soon enough with another guest and all that. So thank you guys for listening, Chris. You got anything? Yeah, else? Chop dot com.